This is day 235 of our daily Bible reading. We will read the book of 1 John today, chapters 1 through 5. Lord Heavenly Father, as we are drawing near to the end of the Bible, please, Lord, show us the wisdom that's in here. Please show us the truth that is hidden within. And remind us, Lord, that this is not the end. You want us to continue in your word for the rest of our lives. That every time we open this book, we will learn something new. In the same way, Lord, that you have limitless depth, your word has limitless depth. It is eternal, and it is wondrous, beyond our comprehension. For Lord, we thank you for the ability to understand what you have for us through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for revealing yourself to us in such a special way. As we enter into your word this morning, please guide us into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write, so that our joy may be made complete. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. 
The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Children, it is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out, so that it would be shown that they are not at all one of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, 
we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot sin, because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life, because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We all know by this that we are of the truth, and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is the commandment, 
that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandment abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. 
For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not leading to death. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guide yourselves from idols. Congratulations for finishing the book of 1 John. We are almost there, ladies and gentlemen. 
We have about one week left before we finish the Bible. It is coming fast, and I can't believe we've made it here to this point. But here we are. We are almost there. So the book of 1 John is a very powerful book, as I'm sure you've seen. And the best way I've heard it described, and I agree with it as well through my studies, is that this is the litmus test of the Bible. This is the lie detector of the Bible. There are many proofs here for things that are evidence of our faith. And there are ways to check ourselves to see if we are really saved. And I think this is important because at any given point of our Christian life, and I know I've had it a few times in the past, I've asked myself, am I really saved? How do I know I'm really saved? This book is an excellent book to answer that question for you. Now, 1 John is written by the Apostle John, the one who was with Jesus, the one who wrote the Gospel of John, the one who was the other disciple who ran to the tomb, the one that Jesus loved. And so this is the same John that is describing these things here. We know that this is later on in his life because this is after he wrote the Gospel of John. Not quite when he was on the Isle of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. That was at the very end of his life. But this was sometime before that. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but there are a lot of parallels in the book of 1 John that can be compared with the Gospel of John, as if they complete each other. Chapter 1 is a very good one that describes that. If you read that first beginning portion here, the purpose of the letter, verses 1 through 4, and you mirror that with John chapter 1, I mean, it looks like it completes the thought. It's very interesting when you put those two side by side. There will be many points in 1 John that we can do that, where we can compare it to what he wrote in the gospel, and it is a complete thought. Or he's affirming what Jesus had said when he was walking the earth. Because remember, John was an eyewitness to many things. He was like Peter. He was of the inner circle of the disciples. So he, of all people, saw more than the other disciples did. And so we know that he's reliable in the things that he says. When we go to verse 5, he announces that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, to say that he is perfect, that he is holy, and that he is pure. And this is something that we cannot compromise at all. And then he begins going through his evidences of his faith. And these are the ones that we compare ourselves to, to see if we are truly of God. He'll say this often, if we say, so in this case, if we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning that we have a relationship with God, right? And yet we walk in the darkness, we are actively pursuing sin then we are lying, and we do not practice the truth. Jesus made it very clear when he said that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot sit at the Lord's table and at the table of demons. That is simply not how it works. You have to pick a side. You're either going to love God, or you're going to love the world. You can't have both, and they are incompatible with each other. Verse 8. 
If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and that the truth is not in us. There are some denominations out there that believe that you can achieve a level of sinlessness, and that is incorrect. As long as we are mortal, as long as we are still in this body, we will continue to sin. That is a defining portion of our humanity. However, when Jesus returns and we are glorified, then that will be removed from us. But until then, we are still sinners. We are righteous in the sight of God because of the blood of Christ, but we still sin. We still practice these things, whether by ignorance or by choice, which I hope we're not doing by choice. And if we do sin, like it says in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says clearly here that God is the one who forgives your sin. You compare this to what the Catholics do, for example, where you have to go and confess your sins to a priest, and then the priest tells you to perform some sort of ritual in order to be forgiven of that sin, which is salvation by works. That is not how it works. In this case, it is very clear, that, and they have this in their Bible too, that God is the one who forgives sins. And if we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. Now, this is, is not just saying the sins and walking away and keep doing them. This is confessing that you know what you're doing is wrong, and you are repenting. There's a big difference. So if you're just identifying, Lord, this is the sin I'm doing and continuing to do, it's not going to accomplish anything, because you haven't fixed the real problem, which is your heart. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we cannot say that we have achieved some sort of sinlessness. That's not possible. Not in this world. If we think we can be sinless, then verse 1 of chapter 2 makes no sense. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. It was a global redemption. Not everyone is going to accept it, but it is available to all. So there's this understanding that God was selective in whom he died for. But the Bible is very clear that he died for the whole world. But not everyone is going to receive him as a result. That's the difference. Here's another proof if you are really of God. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. You're going to see that at least two other times in here. That if you are obeying God's commandments that are in the Bible, then that is a sign that you are living a faithful life in God. Remember, good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. You will know them by their fruits. So if you see good things, you see an anointing in someone's life from God in one way or another, that is proof right there that they are truly of God, because good things come from righteous people. We're not perfect, I know that, but overall, if you were to assess someone's life, and it's overwhelmingly positive, or for God in a particular way, 
then there's your evidence right there. But if you say you're doing one thing and you're doing another, then there's something very wrong there, and you are contradicting yourself, and therefore you're lying. Or you're calling God a liar, and that's even worse. So we are called to live faithfully, but also fruitfully. So the fruit should demonstrate your faith to others. It's not completely possible to assess someone's salvation. We are not called to do that. I am not called to question whether you're really saved or not. But the proof should be in the pudding, so to speak. There should be some proof, some evidence, and result of what you believe. There should be some faithfulness in your serving of church, how you conduct yourself, how you're raising your family, what kind of a work ethic you have, what kind of honesty you have, are you a person of integrity, are you reading the Word of God, are you praying, are you kind? There are many different things that show where you stand. There are still people who are wolves in sheep's clothing, and they look the part, and they check a lot of those boxes. But at the end of the day, there's a stern warning for those people here in the second half of chapter 2. Those people are considered antichrists. Like John is saying here in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. Who was with us? People in our church. People that we would call brothers and sisters in Christ. There will be a time that they will face apostasy. There will be a time that they will pursue the love of the world rather than the love of God, and they will make themselves known. You see that all over the media right now with these movements going on, the transgender movements and so on and so forth, and you see the churches that are legitimate churches of Christ. And the ones that are giving in to the mob are the ones that are not. They are giving in to the pressures and lusts of the world. And they are showing who they really are and what they really stand for. So we do not need to be named among them. So we are not to be antichrists. And if we are really saved, genuinely saved, we will never deny God. Because the Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity, and so is the Son. So he would not deny himself, first of all. But this is the proof right there. The one who denies the Father and the Son, is the Antichrist. Now remember, there are many Antichrists right now. There are many people who profess the name of Christ, but yet it doesn't mean anything to them. It is all for show. It is all theatrics. And those are the Antichrists that John is talking about. But there will be one that will come at the end, the Antichrist, that will be empowered by Satan. But we're not talking about him right now. We're talking about the ones that are currently in the world, trying to lead people astray from the truth. We need to watch out for those people, and we need to call them out and remove them from our midst. Why? Because verse 15 clearly says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So if you love this world, there's a strong chance you're not saved. And then you have a definition for what temptation is and what causes us to sin. And it is the same tactic 
that has worked from the very beginning. Satan doesn't have to try anything else because these three things always work on mankind. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And you can really mirror that with what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? When Eve looked at that fruit and it was beautiful, she was lusting with her eyes. When she saw that it was good for her, then that was the lust of the flesh. And when she saw that it was going to make her wise, that's the boastful pride of life. Those three things are not from God. Those are from the world or from Satan. But don't forget that the world is going to pass away. This is temporary, but God is going to last forever. And hopefully you want to last forever with him rather than apart from him. There are also a lot of parallels in here to what Jesus was talking about in chapter 15 of the book of John about abiding in him. And that is a very important chapter to consider as well. And he talks about that a lot here in the end of chapter 2 and a few other parts of this book here. But let's go into chapter 3 now. And this is another place that you want to compare to John chapter 15, especially the second half of it. This can get confusing if you're not paying attention, if God is not showing you the truth here. God showed his love for us by sending his son. And because he sent us, he died for us, we are now his. And we are now called children of God. Not everybody is God's child. Let's be clear. Everyone is God's creation. But there is a movement going on right now that says we're all God's children. No, we're not. The Bible clearly says contrary to that. Only the ones that know God are his children. That's why it says in verse 1, For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. You know, that's the same problem that the Pharisees had. They didn't know Jesus Christ was the true Messiah. They didn't recognize Jesus as being God, because they didn't know the Father. So if you don't know the Son, you don't know the Father, and the truth is not in you. So only those who understood and were given by God the ability to understand, were the ones that accepted Jesus for who he was, because they saw him for who he really was. And in the same way, when we are going to join him in heaven, we don't really know what our bodies are going to be like. We don't know exactly what our existence is going to entail for eternity. But when Jesus returns, we'll be able to meet him face to face. And we'll be able to see exactly what we are. But until then, we need to have faith in who we are in Christ. Now here's a very important piece as well. Verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So if you wanted a working definition of what exactly is sin, we keep talking about sin, but what is it? It is lawlessness, because we know that God is a God of love, but yet he's also a God of justice and of peace and of order. And so law and order is completely from God. So if we are going against that, then we are practicing sin, because sin is lawlessness. 
Now, the next few verses could really throw people off, and it's caused all sorts of issues within the denominations. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Okay, we can all agree with that, that Jesus Christ was sinless, and he is the only one who could be sinless. Verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Wait a minute. So now we're going into a conversation that is repeated a couple more times in the book, but is it saying that if we are good Christians, we're never going to sin? Is it saying that we have achieved some kind of perfection? No. He's not saying, and he doesn't mean that we will never sin on the earth, but it should not define us. We should not be defined by the sin that is in our life. We should be above that. We will have our times where we falter, where we will struggle and we will mess up. That should not define us, because it is no longer something that controls us. We cannot let sin hold us captive. We must resist. And the only way you're going to be able to resist is if you are in the direct presence of God, who is able to keep you safe from those harms. So the point is this. The closer your relationship is with God, the more holy and pure your conduct is going to be. That is a natural byproduct of being in God's presence. But not only that, but like it said, is that you know in your heart that you need to obey him and that you love him. And how do you show love the best way possible, even to human beings? Through action. You're not going to say it, right? That's why he says this in verse 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue. Don't just say it. Don't just talk about it. Don't make all of these declarations. But do it in deed and in truth. Prove your love to God. Prove your love to people. And help those who are in need. And worship God as he has commanded us. Worship him in truth. That is the only thing that matters. He reminds us again in verse 24. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. That's how we know Jesus is abiding in us, because we have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, he's not abiding in us. Chapter 4 goes down a different vein of thought, which is now talking about false and lying spirits. There will be those voices that are going to compete for your attention. And sometimes they sound like God, but they're not. Not too long ago, I gave you an example of that that happened in my life, where I heard a certain voice, even scripture was used to support it, and it was not God's voice. It was the wrong voice. There is a way to test these spirits. There is a way to discern whether or not something is truly of God. Because if we just take something at face value, we may be led astray. This is how we know the Spirit of God in our life. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So we know that whoever affirms Christ is from God. But not only that, but promotes the things of God. That's how we know those are from God as well. It lines up with what Jesus has always said, or what God has always commanded his people. Those things are congruent with each other, 
and they complement each other. Therefore, they belong together. But if anything is trying to lead you away from that, it's not the Spirit of God. It is the Spirit of Satan. Verse 4 is a very powerful verse on that. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It reminds me of what Jesus said, right? In this life you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's why we can say this. We are from God, and we have overcome them because Christ is in us, and Christ has overcome the world. Therefore, by extension, we have overcome it by him. Verse 6 is another strong verse to support that. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. So if you are speaking wisdom and you're speaking God's truth and people accept it with gladness and agree with it and affirm it, they are of God. But there are those like, ah, I don't like that. Oh, no, you're just being strict. Or no, no, no. The ones that mock, the ones that disregard, the ones that don't agree, they are not from God. Some of it might just be a rebellious, sinful thing going on, but for the most part, it is a lack of God's presence in someone's life. Again, spend enough time with people in church, and you'll be able to weed out who is really of God and who is not. Let me ask you this. Why do you think God wants us to love each other? Yes, we are made in God's image. We all are. But it's because God loved us first. God has always been the initiator for everything. He's the one who created us. He's the one who loved us first. He's the one that showed compassion on us first. He's the one that allowed us to become who we are today. He's the one that grants grace in our life. He's the one that saved you. He's the one that died for you. He's the one that continues to pray and mediate for you. You don't have to do any of that. He's doing it all. So how can we as human beings take such credit on things when none of it was us? It's always been God who does it all. God is love. That defines him. Okay? There's a big difference between this and what the world is trying to tell you right now. Because people are trying to say, love is love. No, it's not. We need to base the definition of love by the person and character of God and through the life and work of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we can figure out what love really is. Love is not a definition that we create ourselves. It is an absolute fact. It is an absolute moral reality that has already been established from eternity past. And we must conform to that standard because that is what God has called us to do. We don't get to write it for ourselves. If we do, that is a perversion. That is pride. That is arrogance. That is rejection of the things of God. Instead, what is the world doing right now? Instead of it being God is love, it's more like love is our God, right? The pursuit of sexual freedom, of changing genders, all these perversions going on, they're showing that's their religion. Their worship of self 
and their worship of carnal love is their religion. That is their God. That is not what is being said here. This is saying that God is love. God is the standard. God is the definition of love. Therefore, everything he does is love. Everything he is is love. Everything he expects from us is love. And if you do anything contrary to that, that is not real love. That is sin. The world just does not understand that, and they cannot, because it is spiritually appraised. So that's why, in light of everything God has done for us, verse 11 comes in. Because God has loved us so much, we need to love one another. So how can you love God and hate someone? That's just not possible. And he talks about that as well. We cannot hate our brother and love God at the same time. These two mindsets are in conflict with each other. I know of people, even in my own church, that talk a good talk when it comes to loving God, and they have a good biblical knowledge. But you can tell that there's bitterness and hatred and some sneakiness going on in their hearts. And they can't be honest with themselves, even when confronted. They hold on to these grudges and just look at people with disdain. Why? Why do you do this? What is that going to accomplish? All you're doing is showing who you really stand for. And it's not with God. So why do you fool yourself and try to fool everyone else? It is sad. You must repent if this is you. If you're at that point, you must repent. It is not by my standard that I'm saying this as a human being. It is by God's standard. It's clear as day in here. So if we're saved, how do we know everything that we're supposed to do is truth? It says clearly in verse 6 that the Spirit is the one who testifies the truth because the Spirit is the truth. So the Holy Spirit is the standard by which we see truth. That's why you can't see truth without the Holy Spirit. You can't see the wisdom of the Bible without His intervention. So that's why every time we do this, I invite the Holy Spirit into this. Because I know I'm not a teacher. I'm just a guide. I'm just a guy talking on a microphone. The one who's actually teaching us is the Holy Spirit, through me or otherwise. And so I'm hoping that I'm of use to him, but it's him who speaks, and it's him who teaches. So he's the one that makes the stuff jump off the pages, and the stuff that really convicts you, the things that bring you joy and peace. Those are him, not anything that we can do. You won't have that if you read the Bible without the Holy Spirit's involvement. Verse 13, he assures us that we have eternal life if we believe in the name of God, especially in Jesus Christ, because he is the way, the truth, and the life, right? No one comes to the Father except through him. So only those that confess Jesus Christ as Lord can go to heaven. And then it says that we have confidence that if we pray anything in his will, he will hear us and he will give it to us. He has promised that. Jesus promised that. We read that in James as well. That if we ask God for something and it is according to his will, it benefits him, it glorifies him, he agrees with it, he will give it to you. It is a guarantee. 
Now, our responsibility is to do it without doubting, right? Like James talked about. Verse 15, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have it. So we shouldn't think like, well, I hope I get it. If we are asking according to God's will, we will have it. It should be that simple to think about. But we can have that confidence that God will answer. But also, that's where faith comes in. We have to have faith in prayer. Do we really think it accomplishes what we think it can accomplish? We have to, because otherwise we are doubting in God, and he may or may not answer you. Usually not. Now, verse 16 through 17 can get a little confusing, so let me clarify what this is saying here. It says that there is a sin that leads to death, but not everything is a sin that leads to death. What's he talking about here? It is true, and we've seen that through the Bible as well, that believers can sin to the point where physical death comes. We can end our life early if we are living in sin. God will not allow us to wallow in that. He will remove us from it. So what he's implying here is that it's not a single act. It's talking about acts that have the character of sin that lead to death. So most likely living an active sinful lifestyle can lead to physical death. And because if we are not of use to God, then what purpose do we have on earth? There's no reason for us to be here if there is no mission for us to fulfill or if we are refusing to take the mission. That is a dangerous thing to do. And really, in those ways, are you even saved at all? Makes you wonder. It really does. But he shows us here in verse 18 through verse 20 how we are free from habitual sin because our sinful nature no longer defines us. We are freed from that. We are new creatures in Christ. So we are above that at this point. We are no longer being controlled by sin, nor should we allow ourselves to be controlled by sin. We understand that God is the one who is in control, and we need to let him take the reins. And then, most oddly of all, the very last verse of this epistle says, Little children, guard yourself from idols. Not once did he talk about idols in the entire book. So why did he end on this note? Because anything that we prop up that is not God is an idol. And so all of these things that is proof of our salvation is pointing us to the idols that are in our lives. Identify those idols and get rid of them. Because anything that gets in the way of God is a substitution for God that we are putting in our lives. We cannot have idolatry among us, because that is a divided allegiance, and we will not stand. And that, my friends, is 1 John in a nutshell. Tomorrow we're going to go through three very short epistles, and then we will spend a whole week talking about the book of Revelation. And then we'll be finished. It is coming fast. That's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.